Listener Production. Punchy, whacked, power, influence. Take me seriously because I've actually got some clout behind what I'm saying. Welcome to Women with Clout. <laughs> In this episode, we're thrilled to talk to Susan Alberti, who neither Catherine or I have ever met before, and she is down the line in Melbourne, so we're only kind of meeting her across the airwaves. But her reputation has preceded her to such an extent that we're just determined to talk to her about what is going on in women's sport, the revolution that she has been so much a part of, particularly in women's AFL. I'm also interested to talk to her about uh, her career in business as well. She's had a fascinating life and an incredible determination. And I've heard so many people speak so admiringly about what Sue has done. So it's a great thrill to have her here today, as you say. And also she's been such a force in such non-traditional for women areas, sport and construction. That's right. And from the early 60s. So she's seen an awful lot of things. It's lovely to have you here, Sue. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Your impact on sport has been remarkable. Can you tell us a bit about the ups and downs behind the scenes as the women's AFL competition was set up? I mean, I was slightly involved with that because I worked on the original advertising campaign with Beck Brideson, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. but uh, I'm sure you saw much more of it than I did. Well, my journey in AFL or VFL football goes back a long, long way, um, more than 50 years ago when I used to play the game and about the age of 15, I had to retire because there was nowhere for me to go. Uh, I was playing with boys, against boys and girls in the cheer squad team that uh, we'd formed, cheer squads. Uh, we used to play on a Sunday afternoon and Dad, being an umpire, said, enough is enough, you've got to hang up your boots. Mm. And I never quite got over that. And I thought, one day, one day if I'm ever in a position to change this, I'm going to do it. So it was always at the back of my mind that this was so unfair that women shouldn't be given the same opportunities as men and it was with me throughout my whole life and, of course, a lot happened over those years. My brother, he went on to play more football. He became an umpire. My father was an umpire. I was more or less told to go home and start knitting. Well, I did that as well. Um, (laughs) I'm a very good knitter (laughs) in those days. But I also still kicked the footy with my brother down at the park because we didn't have any money for me to be in an organised club after that. There There was nothing there for girls wanting to play footy. So I'd still kick the footy in the backyard down the park with my brother and my father and the love of football remained with me. It's, in fact, it's been with me my entire life, um, kicking a footy. But to me, it's been not just football. It's been about all sports. I played many sports when I was a kid and um, I loved sport. It kept me on the straight and narrow because I grew up in a very, very tough area. Um, it was rough and tough and um, it was a housing commission home where I lived in. Um, Dad had just come out of the war and had very little money and he was uh, became a policeman, came to Melbourne, put a deposit on a home and that's where I lived. What so, did you love about playing sport and, and particularly about um, uh, playing AFL? Because as you say, it was unusual, wasn't it, for girls to oh, play absolutely. it in those days? I just love the competitiveness and I also love the physicality. Um, my dad being a policeman, I used to say to him, Dad, you know, what do you do when you're in a situation where you need support and help? He said, I sit on them. I said, but Dad, I can't do that in sport. 
He said, well, I'll teach you how to tackle being a policeman. Well, I tackle so well. I wasn't the fastest runner in all the sports that I did, but particularly in football, I tackle so well. About 10 years ago, I ran into a lady at the club where I was vice president and she said, oh, I remember you. And I said, sorry, don't remember you. She said, oh, I remember you. She said, you tackled me so hard, you broke both my arms. Ooh. And the last time I'd seen her prior to then was in the back of an ambulance. Now, she's in her mid-70s now, fighting fit, not holding it against me. But my father taught me to tackle and I was one of the best tacklers in football. So when Tony Liberatore was known as the, you know, the best tackler in the league, I could relate to that. I wasn't the fastest runner. He wasn't the fastest runner, but I knew... I had strengths that my dad had, you know, and helped me with, and tackling was one of them. And he taught me how to tackle really well. And so, and I did that to a lot of girls, but unfortunately, this lady came off second best. <laughs> yeah. I won't be. We won't be tackling you. No, no, no so don't you dare. No, no, no. <laughs> not at all. But do you think that sense of physical power and physical yes. um, mm-hmm. ability to, uh, you know? win and, and and subdue others, which is really what tackling is, isn't it? Well, it is, Helped but, you, you know, I was uh, I always liked winning, but mm-hmm. I'd never got sympathy from my father if I lost. I'd say to him, you know, he'd turn around and say to me, well, you didn't train hard enough, train a bit harder and you might win next week. So there were no prizes for coming last in my family. And I just enjoyed the team, uh, the team effort. I enjoyed the friends that I made. It was more than football. It was more than sport. It was about friendships. And, and a team active-based sport, whatever sport I was playing, whether it be tennis, rounders, football, all the sports I played, it was about teamwork. It was never an individual game for me, it was teamwork. That's something that I think, as a bit of a non-sporting person myself, however, mm. that really stands out. When I look at the women's sporting teams now mm. mm-hmm. uh, that are doing so well right across the world uh, for Australia but mm. also in competition here there mm-hmm. does seem to be a much more much more camaraderie a much much less Absolutely. um star making kind of mm. behavior from which the is women. also yes. which is also a fascinating myth busting factor isn't I think it it's incredible i love watching the women i love seeing them excel i love watching the cricketers you know Elise perry and so on and seeing them being successful and you just see the way they come together they like to be together they want to be in one another's company they're okay they're competitors but they're a team and they work together as a team and when you speak to them they speak so well you know they're just wonderful young women great ambassadors for young girls growing up with a big um, it could be netball, it, I mean, the, the fantastic netballers. Uh, it doesn't matter what sport it is, swimmers. Mm. Um, they're just wonderful women and great role models for our young girls growing up and it encourages our young girls to aspire to be the best. I don't say you're going to be in the best team or you're going to be an elite athlete, but just to do your best, which is what my mum and dad encouraged me to do. I think I would have been a damn good footballer. I do know that. Mm. But whether I would have reached the ranks of a marquee player, I don't know, but I would have given it my best shot. It's interesting mm. because we're very hard on women athletes as well. I mean, I was just thinking then about the whole Serena Williams, you know, the yes. fuss about her getting upset when she lost that match and, you know, they're really very much in focus and they get criticised for not being the super, super competitive style. But then if they show that side of their character, as mm-hmm. Serena Williams definitely did, they mm. then get criticised for that. Mm. We're much harder, I think, aren't we, on You're not well, suggesting there are double standards for women, are you, Jane? <laughs> well, 
Oh, well, the men are criticised I'm just the same. I mean, um, these are professional people. They should know better. They really should. I mean, they should conduct themselves in such a manner. I mean, it is very frustrating for them sometimes, men and women, so I don't want to support either side. It's just that sometimes they become so frustrated, that's how they vent their anger. But they are professional Mm. and obviously they are trained for years and years and years. Whenever I get upset about something or I've been playing sport, I would never vent it out there on the field. I mean, yeah, when I got into the change rooms, I wasn't a very nice person to be around, but I would know that that was a time and a place for me, not showing everybody else how I felt. It was unnecessary as far as I was concerned. So it's for her to work that one out and for the men to work it out. And, of course, I know what I do. So Yeah. yeah. So mm. to go back to the setting up of the AFL women's competition, mm-hmm. uh, was that difficult? Was that a hard slog? Was it easy? What what what? What was that like? Well, I'd been following women's football and you probably may or may not be aware, and I'm sure you probably are, that women's footy really started in 1913 uh, in Western Australia. In fact, it goes beyond, it goes back even further. There's a book being written called Play On by Rob Hess, a professor at Victoria University on the history of women's football. And I helped him launch that book simply being because I didn't realise just how old football was with women. So it goes back to 1913 when women uh, slotted into positions in the men's position because the men went to war. So I, oh. I repeatedly say this, the first 100 years is always the hardest. <laughs> but but for me, it's been about 60-odd years, so I'm only sort of, you know, young in mm. terms of footy. So I recall, I mean, I've been following it for quite some time, seeing what women were doing. And one particular afternoon, the Victorian Women's Football League invited me to come to a luncheon, not realising in the, the diabolical situation they were in financially and everything else. And they asked me to speak and and I love meeting people and I remember talking to the committee and saying, how are things going? And I could see they were on their knees, absolutely ready to fold. This is women's football and we've got teams out there playing in the Victorian Women's Football League. This is back in the very, very early 80s. And I thought, what's a tangible way I can help these women? This is my opportunity now. I've been carrying this with me since I was 15. What can I do to make a difference? What's the most tangible way I can? I'm not an athlete. I can't play the game anymore. I was too old. So I decided there and then when they told me the situation, then there was no support from AFL or any other football organisation. It was just terrible what was happening. They were on their knees ready to fold. So I wrote out a check there and then. And of course, the whole room just burst into tears, not really realising that's what I do to them all. So I kept that going for about three or four years, which enabled them to employ a full-time member of staff, which really changed everything for women in football. So, and then of course, I was on the board at that time, uh, the Bulldogs, and I remember taking my case to the Bulldogs and saying, I want to have a women's team. I wasn't actually uh, encouraged at that time because we were concerned more about men and resources for men, but I remember saying we can get sponsorship, which is what we did. However, the first few years were exhibition matches. The AFL could see the writing on the wall. This is good business. Mm. Women are just knocking on the door to play the sport. They now got an opportunity. The VWFL was getting stronger. More and more games were being played. More and more women were wanting to play the game. And, and I'm saying this: it's not about women versus men or men, uh, uh, you know, men versus women. Mm. It's about being fair. And if yeah. women want to play this game, as I did when I was 15, why should they be denied the same opportunities as their male counterparts? To me, it was unfair. 
So I was pushing all the way. I remember going into the AFL headquarters and sort of more or less, not the time of Gill, but other uh, other times where more or less sort of being shown the door, you know, you're a mad woman and uh, what are you doing in here? And I, I could see the writing on the wall. I could see it was good business, bottom line, and women were just clamouring to play the game. So I guess you could say the rest is history. So, however, we had three exhibition matches. I sponsored our girls onto the field, myself personally, to get them out there. And, of course, some wonderful sponsor at Melbourne did the same, a company. So we played exhibition matches. So they came, they saw, and, yes, we did conquer. Mm. People saw what women could do. And the AFL could see too. You know, this is good business. Mm. They, they wanted to get behind it. And it's interesting to see the clubs that got the the initial licences, how their membership started to grow more because there were women involved. So it's been a very long journey for me. It's probably been over 60 years. Uh, a lot of uh, the women in my era didn't get the opportunity, but now little girls and women are being given opportunities to play the game they truly love. But I also say I like to broaden that. It's not just about AFL for me. It's about all sport and about all women, and I also support women in business as well. Can we talk a little bit about that? Sure. Because as you sure. were saying that, Sue, I was thinking those qualities mm. that you brought sure. to that campaign, which has yes. run over six decades, clearly. Um, mm. But I'm sure a lot of um, your tenacity, and not least in tackling, um, mm. has also served you well in the business world. Now, where do you mm. think things have come to since you started out? Because mm. you ran a business, didn't you? Um, I did. I was in the yeah. construction industry for 45 years. My husband was killed in a tragic accident, drug-affected driver, didn't stop at the scene of an accident. I was thrust overnight into a position of, I had about 300 staff uh, in the building side of things and about 103 other businesses, another 100 staff. So I was thrust into a leadership role at a very, very early age. And arguably, I was the first registered female builder in Victoria. So I've been in a man's world for a very, very long time. But however, I've always remained who I am. I've never changed who I am. I've always been a lady. I've conducted myself as a lady. And I've always tried to encourage young women to aspire and be the best that they possibly can. I never let it get in, interfere with me. There were men. It's just that I had a job to do. I had to get on with it. I had people looking to me for their survival and their livelihood. And it's the Italian way. I'm not Italian, but my husband would have done the same. The Italian way is you treat your staff like family. And that's exactly what I did. I treated them like family. I looked after them continued on the merry-go-round for about 10 years and then I went into other businesses and um, I've been w- working since I was 14. Mm. So it's not like it's something new. I turned 72 this year oh. and I'm still fighting fit and still working like blazers and hard. And um, I, I met a lot of young women along the way. I talked to them, I mentored them, encouraged them and don't let obstacles get in the way. What do you think has changed for women in the workforce? When you look back over when you started working when you were 14 Mm -hmm. to now? I think sport has had a lot to do with it. I really do. Opening up to women in sport, giving them the recognition that they deserve and should get, I think it's making it a bit easier for women now to be recognised. We need to speak up more. If it's not right, I say to young women, speak out, call it out. 
If it's not working and something you're uncomfortable about, speak out. I think women have been afraid to speak out. I never have been afraid to speak out because I've always been in a man's world. I've had no peer. I've had no female peer when I was in the construction industry. Obviously, it's changed since I was in other industries. But um, I think women now um, speak out much more. They're not afraid to speak out and they should speak out. And I tell young women to do that. But do it with respect. Always remember when you do it, be sure about what you're going to say and be respectful. And also, Sue, um, speaking up together um, is an important thing to do as yes, well when yeah. you can, when you can, because when I do take can. your point about male-dominated sectors yes, because yes. construction's still pretty formidable for, for women. Uh, exactly. You know, it hasn't, hasn't improved enormously. I know the statistics are not great. But uh, no. one of the things I think we've seen over the last couple of years is women uh, speaking up and backing each other as a cohort, yeah. and I think that... That's also really helpful. I find that in sport. It's just amazing. Um, But in business, yes, if you can do it together, by all means. I mean, I go and I meet female engineers, architects. They're just remarkable women. I don't think people realise there's more and more women getting into the building industry, but, you know, trained in in those areas. And uh, I, in fact, about two months ago, I was at a function and I met all these female engineers were flying in and out on oil rigs. Female engineers, I thought, I would never have seen the day or talked to women who are flying in and out of oil rigs. And and back in the 60s when I was in building, no way. And they love it, Mm. you know, architects, and it's just amazing. And, of course, um, apprentices, you know, carpenters, you know, brickies, more and more women are getting into that side of things as well and being accepted by their male peers, male counterparts, which is how it should be. Mm, If that's what they choose to do. I'm not saying they have to do it, but if that's what they choose, they should, I say this, sport and business, they should be given the same opportunities as men. Hallelujah. Same opportunities in sport and in business. And that's what they choose to do. Go girls. There's been some fantastic um, steps by organisations as well to ensure that those young women are encouraged into apprenticeships, trades and so on, which is fantastic to see. And while people say, oh, we don't want to quote her or we don't want to target or whatever, that's had a tangible effect on getting young women into some of those non-traditional roles. And I think we've got to understand it's a stepping stone to change. It's not. Absolutely. I mean, as I said, in sport and footy, the first hundred years is the hardest. But when I look back over my life and my career and uh, back in the 60s, and I see the changes that have evolved over the years. It's just been remarkable. Women in business, in sport, in industry. I never even dreamt of that in the 60s. Mm. I had a hard slog, but I'm a very determined person. Maybe I'm a little different to some people, but I was so determined that this was not going to beat me. But hasn't been that easy, but I look at I go back now. It's like medical research. I go back and I see what's been happening and where we're at now. It's been truly remarkable and it's been positive, positive for women. You uh, referred there to it's been a hard slog and you had some Mm -hmm. very difficult times and indeed you've Mm -hmm. also mentioned your husband being killed tragically in a car accident. Mm -hmm. You have faced terrible personal adversity. I mean, Mm -hmm. how do you manage to keep going? How How do people get through, men and women, the really darkest times of life? Well... When Angelo was killed, um, I really had no choice. Um, it was either, you know, pull up stumps or go on. Mm. And um, 
I decided that I was going to continue. I wasn't going to let it beat me. So I come from the hard school of Knox. I grew up in a very tough, rough area. My best friend I played all my sport with, she was raped and murdered uh, at 17. And I nearly gave up sport because of that. But I was encouraged by my father, who was a great man, a policeman, encouraged me into sport, which gave me opportunities, I think, that if I hadn't gone into sport. So I'm a pretty tough nut. It's, I think you could say that it's how I grew up in the tough area that I lived in, which has made me really a tough person. Mm. You could say resilient, but I get a bit sick of that word. Yeah, me too, Um, me too. I just want women to say to themselves, I can do this. Set your mind to it. Dream big. I've always I've always been a visionary. I've never been a follower. I've always been about this is what I could do. When I was younger, I had a five-year plan of where I wanted to be. Now that I'm older and the twilight years, three is about the max for me. <laughs> so you're very it's realistic the there. Yeah, it's yeah, very practical. <laughs> so I think it's a good thing if women and men maybe, mm. um, if they're interested, to have a, a goal, a plan, a five-year plan, which is what I did. I think I managed to do all those things when I was younger. Now it's three. To me, it's about keeping healthy. Mm. Uh, that's the most important thing for me now. And when I meet with young women, I like to hear their stories and how I can help them. There's only so many hours in a day, but I try to do as much as I can to help them, whether it be business or in sport. And quite honestly, I thrive on their success when I see my influence on them and I come back six months later and see they've made up their own mind what they want to do. I've just given them, let them talk. And I feel like their mother in some sort of way... um, I had I played some small part in what they're doing and to see them successful, that's all I need mm-hmm. at my time of life. You talk about the kind of parental role of um, yes. mentoring, but you also speak so glowingly of your father and it has mm. been an observation of mine and we've had it come up a few times in these interviews that often women who succeed in the public space mm-hmm. have had fathers who mm. were really in their corner encouraging them. They weren't the sort of fathers who said, oh, you know, you're just a girl. They were uh, really kind of positive role models. And it sounds like your father was that kind of person to he you. He was a good man, my father. He was a good, honest cop. He's the one that made me hang up my boots because I was being belted around and he could see I was being injured. But I gave as good as I got. You know, I was playing like a boy, but enough was enough. And I, at the time, I hated him and I cried for a week and I thought, what do you know? Well, he was right. I was being belted up, but it took me a long time. But he encouraged me into other sports. Mm. He could see how much I was missing my footy. And yes, he did. He was a very, and he was, um, he was a kind man. He encouraged me to give back. He encouraged me to be community minded. My dad had very little to give. He was in St. Vincent de Paul for 55 years. Mm. And I don't recall a Christmas morning when my father was at home. He was out feeding the needy and the hungry on his meagre salary. So he used to always say, no matter what you've got, you need to share. And you need to care about your fellow man, no matter what, how little you've got. So dad was a very good honest and kind man. Mum was too, but mum was a stay-at-home mum. But dad was the guiding light in our home and he was the one that encouraged me to be fit and healthy because God only knows I probably would have turned into a whale and or um, I just 
I just would have been very unhealthy and I probably would have become a juvenile delinquent. People say I still am, but anyhow, (laughs) I I think I would have been a juvenile delinquent. Do you think that physical fitness, that sense of uh, being in your own body and having the strength you need is important also for how you feel in terms of emotional strength, intellectual mm-hmm. strength, mm-hmm. Uh, determination, that those two things go together, that if you feel physically weak, it's mm-hmm. hard to feel strong in other areas. Absolutely. I mean, I can give you a, a, a serious personal experience. I mean, it did make me feel stronger and I could conquer the world and I felt more confident and then, I, I mean, I've had... As you know, I've had many challenges, but mm. I've been, I've had cancer, I've had open heart surgery with five blockages, I've been incredibly ill, close to death. And I remember in intensive care saying to myself on a couple of occasions, if I get out of here, I'm going to change my whole life because I've turned into somebody who was morbidly overweight, unfit, unhealthy, unhappy. And when I did get out of there, and realised how important it was to be healthy. And I got past the stage where I could be, you know, playing footy and sport and things, but I could walk. Mm. And I recall my kidneys failed and I was very ill. And I remember I was in intensive care for weeks and I was in hospital for a long time and going to see my kidney specialist. And I said, give it to me straight. What's going to happen to me? And she said, one or two female, I had four wonderful doctors looking after me, specialist. She said, you'll either be dead in six months and or you'll be permanently on dialysis. You want the truth? That's the truth. Wow. And I realised how unfit. I was so busy looking after everybody else. And the moral of the story is here, health is wealth. If you don't look after yourself, I thought I was a leader. I wasn't a good leader. I was kidding myself. I was fooling myself. If I wanted to be a good leader, I had to change the things that I was doing. I had to change and modify my lifestyle, my diet, get out there and start exercising. You know what? Since I've done that, I've lost an incredible amount of weight. I'm happier. I'm healthier. I'm fitter than I've ever been. And life, I enjoy every day of my life because we're limited on this planet. The time will be here. But whilst I'm here, I'm going to do everything I can to stay healthy because if you don't have your health, you've got absolutely nothing. Yeah. Isn't it fantastic then to see uh, these role models that we now have in women's sport? Because yes. um, it's not that women didn't play sport before. Of course they did. We all did. Some of us somewhat reluctantly, yes. I have to say. <laughs> yes. By <laughs> exercise. How, yes. how wonderful is it? I, th- I saw a picture on Twitter from Angela Pippos, the wonderful oh, sports yes. journalist recently. Yes. And she it was a picture of the girls in the audience in the, you yes. know, watching the AFL women's uh, team play. And she just said, this is why this is important. And it's clearly giving them incredible role models and showing them that their physicality is something to be really proud of and to pay attention yeah. to. The other thing I wanted to ask you, though, Sue, is about um, how much of an incentive it is, because I think Jane and I probably agree, that tackling unfairness uh, really keeps you going. Because when you see unfairness, you can't unsee it, and you really do feel that burning desire to keep going with it. And it sounds to me as though that's been something that's continued to motivate you. Well, I'll call it out any time if I think something Mm. is unfair. Our women are training about 21 hours a week. A lot of them are studying, working, got children, families. You know, I think it's very important that our women are given the appropriate facilities, the appropriate remuneration. I haven't got the answers to everything, but I will call it out if I think it's unfair. I speak to a lot of these women. They are remarkable women. I don't know how they do it. But 
What's so beautiful about them? I see families coming back to the football. I see little girls and boys, little boys wearing numbers of the girls on their back. That's wonderful. Mm. I That's love what's that. so beautiful, families coming back and feeling safe in the environment. That to me, I sit back and I think, wow, we are doing things so well in this country and our young women who play the game are such role models and I just don't say that, you know, I say that with all sincerity. It is. I know it you say it's 100 years, but in a way mm. it feels like... Uh, the barriers were high, 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 and then they yes. just all collapsed. Yes, yes, yeah. Well, if you look at it, we now have, I remember about a few years ago we had about 690 teams. Now we have 2,210 teams. Wow. We are nudging 600,000 girls playing our great game right around Australia. Who would have thought five years ago We'd have this many women. I believe, honestly, ladies, in five years, we will not be having this conversation. It will be the norm. The girls will have their league or the women and the men will have theirs. It's not against women versus men. We're there to complement each other. We all love this sport, whether it be, as I said, any sport. But let's work together. Let's complement each other. That's the only thing I ask. Let's work together. And in five years' time, we probably won't have this conversation. Oh, that's just old hat. I think it's that's- a wonderful example, isn't it, too? And I'm mm. sure, Sue, you hear this, Jane and I do all the time, that, uh, oh, some things will never change. You know, they won't oh, change. And I always changing. say, you, are you kidding? Everything and I always, changes. Everything changes, but I always say, look at women in sport in Australia uh, because people of our vintage would, as you say, we would yes. never have believed this could never happen. Never have dreamt it in the no. 60s when I was growing up and now I look and I sit back there. In fact, I get quite emotional. In fact, I'm getting emotional now even thinking and talking about it because I never, ever dreamt we'd be this size and be so many women playing active team-based sport. I don't care if it's at the elite level or just a great grassroots. We've got to get our kids off their backsides. We've got a problem in this country with diabetes Mm. and I'm very close to that. I know all about it. I want to get our kids. I couldn't get me inside. Now you can't get kids outside. So it's more than sport. It's about the health of the nation. And that's what's so important. We get our kids out, get them out there playing. Doesn't care what sport it is. I don't care what it is. And in a country like this, sport (laughs) is an incredibly important, iconic Sort of set of it it represents a set of values and Mm -hmm. a way of tackling a whole lot of as as you say the way that you work the way that you live Mm -hmm. basically so it has been phenomenal. Um, When you when you're asked as I'm sure you are quite often Sue about advice and and what you would tell perhaps a younger woman or a woman Mm -hmm. having you know facing some of the still Mm -hmm. formidable barriers and challenges that they Mm -hmm. may face in the business world for example or in some part of their life what are the things you've you've mentioned a few things about tenacity and not speaking up and and speaking up and, and not letting go. What are the couple of things that you think are really important to cling on to? Well, my daughter used to ask me that when she was alive and actually Danielle would be 50 this year if she was still alive. And I used to say to her, Danielle, work hard, work hard at what you know best. You will be recognised. You'll be seen for what you're doing. But also do not take no for an answer if you're not satisfied with the response you get, but be respectful. Don't be rude about it and always be a lady. Don't ever lower your standards to be like one of the boys. You don't have to do that. And my daughter did that. She did everything that I suggested she does. She had a mind of her own. She was smart. She was in te- she was very intelligent, creative. She was just a beautiful young woman. She did all of that, what I suggested to her and, and others. She did her own thing as well. She was very independent. But 
Above all, I would say to young women today, do not take no for an answer if you're not satisfied. And if you're not happy about something, call it out. Mm. Always call it out. And just don't give up Mm. and dream big. I have always been a visionary. I've never been a follower. Some people are, and that's fine with me. Uh, But I've always dreamt big. I've always tried to find a solution. I'm a solution person. If I've got a problem, I try and fix it if I can. But I also, the other thing is, and I said this to Danielle, mix with people that are smarter than you. I was told that years ago. I enjoy the company of men and women. And there's many, many, there are many people much, much smarter than me. And I enjoy their company. I enjoy talking to them and learning and gaining knowledge. And that's something she did as well. And that stood by me too. And I still continue to enjoy mixing with people that are far smarter than me and listening to their observations and their life journey. Thank you, Sue. It's been an absolute delight and pleasure talking to you. And uh, I'm sure that the young women you mentor now really appreciate your wisdom and all of us really appreciate the struggle you have been part of to create this revolution in women's sport. Thank you, ladies. Women with Clout is presented by Jane Caro and Catherine Fox. Producer Lip Crown. Theme music composed and performed by David Beckingham. Listener.